910 AM interview of the week here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. And uh, we like to talk about things that are Catholic related with um, some connection to North Texas. And I have on the line with me today a gentleman who currently lives in Tampa, Florida. And sorry, he teaches high school theology at, a, at the Jesuit school there. He is an author, a translator, and also a 2013 graduate of the University of Dallas. His name is Danny Fitzpatrick. And he has recently translated uh, Dante Alighieri's Inferno, and it is available on the online portals and perhaps some of the local Catholic bookstores. I'm not sure. We'll find out from him. But he's the translator, and there's an illustrator, Timothy Schmalz, and, of course, the author is Dante himself. So, uh, Danny Fitzpatrick, thanks for joining us for the show today. Hey, Dave, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so tell me about your particular interest in Dante, and maybe for somebody who's not, you know, maybe hearing the name for the first time, uh, who is he and and why the great love that you have for him? Sure, yeah, so I'm particularly excited about Dante right now because, uh, along with, with much of the rest of the world right now, because we are celebrating the 700th anniversary of Dante's death. He actually died uh, September 14th, 1321, uh, so we've just passed the actual day. Um, He was born in 1265 in Florence uh, and was, of course, you know, a great thinker, poet, uh, intellectual figure of his age. Um, The remarkable thing about him, you know, the the thing that is most remarkable, of course, is this divine comedy, which he wrote uh, during his exile, which spans the basically last 20 years of his life. Um, so he spent the last 13 or 14 years writing this incredible poem, The Divine Comedy, which describes his journey through hell, purgatory, and heaven. Um, so it's just it's this incredible vision of the entire universe that's informed by St. Thomas's theology and Aristotle's philosophy. Um, and it's just a really great time to celebrate his poetry right now, just with this this momentous anniversary of his death. I got to know him initially at the University of Dallas. So every freshman there, as part of the core curriculum, uh, reads Dante. And to be honest, I had a tough time with him. I guess that's not very uncommon, but um, his poetry is so heavily intellectual and so fraught with references that it's very easy to get bogged down in the footnotes, which mm-hmm. is kind of exactly what happened to me. Um, so when I first read it, I was, I was just a very scrupulous sort of reader. And so I'd you know, read a few lines of poetry and then read the five paragraphs of notes that went with those few lines and just get very, very kind of bogged down in it. Um, I came back to the text several years later in a graduate school course. And at that time, I had been reading some essays by the American poet Ezra Pound, who recommends if you want to be a good poet, you should probably spend some time translating one of the great poets from his original language. Mm. So I started translating Dante at that time just to try to get better at my own poetry. Never had any notion of you know, producing a full translation or certainly not anything that would be published. Um, so it wasn't until last year that Mr. Schmalz and I uh, got connected uh, through the publisher on route books and media and, uh, you know, got to talking about making this new illustrated translation. 
because he was at work on producing one sculpture for every for each one of the hundred uh, kanti, the sort of little chapters that the poem is divided into. And uh, yeah, so we just went from there and figured it would be great to try to do this in honor of that 700th anniversary. Yeah, how exciting! I I did not aware I was not aware that we were celebrating that this year. Um, should probably be publicized more. Uh, yeah, but uh, I'm, I'm glad that we have the opportunity to talk to you. And just uh, for folks who are not familiar with the Divine Comedy, and and you, you know a whole lot more about it than I do, but my understanding is that Dante is given kind of a tour of hell and purgatory in heaven, right? Is it Virgil that Correct. is giving him a tour? And what, what exactly, from a content standpoint, uh, would one expect to read if, um, if, if, he, if he was to read the Divine Comedy? What, what, what kind of, how, how, is the, how is the tour carried out? Sure. So, yeah, you're right. So Virgil, the Roman poet uh, responsible for the Aeneid, is the one who gives him this tour. And it's, the poem is this incredible mixture of what is most familiar to us, namely our own human weakness. Um, but then that is combined with just this incredibly imaginative journey through basically everything, through all of reality. So the poem begins on this extremely human note, which is in many ways kind of different from a lot of the rest of the epic poetic tradition. Um, so, so many of them begin, of course, with these, these grand invocations of the muses and things like that. And Dante has a lot of those elements in his poetry, but we start in the comedy with a guy who is lost in the woods uh, and is, you know, he kind of comes to his senses and is deeply distressed at the fact that he's lost his way and can't, can't seem to get back on the right track on his own which I think is just a very human experience, right? That yes. so many of us have this experience of just waking up one day and thinking, man, how did I get in this situation? How have I gone so far off the right path? Um, so he tries to get back to the right road. He sees it up above him. Um, he is soon repulsed by a lion, a leopard, and a wolf, which is, of course, fairly foreign to most of our ordinary human experiences. And then he meets the poet Virgil, who takes him on this tour uh, down through the nine levels of hell, which are organized in a very particular way in Dante's cosmology. So basically, the uh, structure of hell is dictated by the structure of human morality, as, as seen by Aristotle and St. Thomas Aquinas. So up at the top of hell, um, those sins which are, uh, I guess, least pernicious are punished. Mm -hmm. um, so you get things like lust and gluttony, which are in a way close to love, right? So there are these desires for good things which have been perverted in some way. Um, and as we get deeper and deeper into hell and the punishments get worse and worse, uh, we're dealing with sins that are more specifically human, uh, things like malice, fraud, treachery, um, and things which most pervert human nature altogether. So we get all the way to the bottom of hell, where we find Satan, who is uh, trapped in a lake of ice, which he has basically, he basically keeps frozen by flapping his huge uh, leathery wings. 
Um, and in his three heads, he's chewing uh, Judas, who, of course, betrayed Christ, and then Brutus and Cassius, who betrayed Julius Caesar. Mm. Um, so Virgil guides him all the way down here. He then, the two heroes then use Satan as a kind of ladder to climb through the center of the earth uh, up to the mountain of purgatory, which Dante basically places uh, on this mountain in the, uh, in the ocean in the southern hemisphere. So Virgil then guides Dante up the mountain of purgatory, which is kind of like hell in reverse. Um, so the weightier sins like pride and envy are purged down on the lower levels of the mountain. And then we have things like uh, lust up at the top, you know, things that are the closest to, to love. And then finally at the top, we get to the Garden of Eden, essentially, um, where Dante finally meets uh, a woman he's been longing to see for a very long time. Uh, her name is Beatrice, um, who then takes over uh, for Virgil as Dante's guide through the final ascent through the stars uh, in Paradiso up to a vision of the Trinity. Oh, wow. That's a great summary. Thank you for that. Um, you know, one of the things that first crossed my, my mind when I saw that you have translated this was I thought, well, there's already an English translation. So how is your book different from perhaps what somebody may have read in college or, you know, pick up at the bookstore? What, what's different about this one? Right. So that, yeah, that is one of the, uh, I think one of the great riches of Dante is that, um, he, he invites translation so much. I think partly because, I mean, at least one of my motivations is that, um, the Italian that he uses is somewhat less formidable than, say, uh, you know, a lot of the great Latin, uh, poets of the ancient world. Mm -hmm. Um, so translating him is a somewhat, more approachable project in certain ways. Um, but it, it's also just like there's this great, I don't know, this sort of community of translators across the ages who are all looking back to Dante and engaging in this task. Um, the main things that I tried to keep in mind as I translated were that, one, I wanted to keep the sound of Dante's Italian as much as possible in English, um, just to, just to kind of honor Dante and let the, let the poem remain his poem as much as possible. And then also to remain faithful to his Catholic vision. So that is, that tends to be one of the biggest, I guess, sort of issues that you could say, maybe I take with some of the translations out there is that, um, I don't know, certain elements of Dante's Catholic vision of things tend to go by the wayside. Um, so those are kind of my two guiding principles um, were to make it as faithful to the original Italian as possible and to preserve intact Dante's Catholicism. Um, the other big thing is that this is not meant as a, like a really scholarly translation. Um, so it's very light as far as like the scholarly apparatus of notes and things like that. Um, it's meant to just basically give readers the text of the poem. So we have both the, the Italian and the English facing each other, um, and then the illustrations. So just to allow the reader to experience the poem itself, 
um, without having to feel sort of bogged down by undertaking this great scholarly task of, of digging into it and understanding every reference. Yes. Danny Fitzpatrick is my guest, and he has translated Dante Alighieri's Inferno. In uh, There's a paperback version, and we'll let you know how you can get it. Uh, the illustrator is Timothy Schmalz, and uh, as uh, Danny said, we're celebrating this year the 700th anniversary of Dante's passing back in uh, 1321, and so it's a great occasion to uh, pick this up and read it. Uh, why is this voice still, import- still important today? I know I think some people say, "Oh my goodness, something written 700 years ago. What's what's the point? Uh, why, why why would somebody today uh, find interest in this? And why is his voice still important?" Sure. Yeah. So there are so many. Yeah. I mean, there's so many just things about Dante that remain fresh to this day. So for one thing, just his appreciation of the beauty of the world is astonishing. Um, so it's, it, you know, you could kind of read Dante and almost get a, a tour of the beauties of Italy um, because he, he brings up, you know, not only a lot of the great sort of monuments, uh, these things that make up the sort of Italian cultural patrimony, but also just the beauty of the, the physical uh, natural side of Italy. Um, so he gives us this kind of great appreciation for all the wonders of nature, which is tremendous. He also gives us this great appreciation for human nature itself. Um, and I think one of the, I don't know, one of kind of the key components of much of the modern view of human nature is that either it's not there at all or human nature is kind of just a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas Dante reminds us that uh, no, we have we have a nature that is given to us by a loving God, and that nature is a means to return to God, even if it uh, has been thwarted in certain ways or is is uh, you know under undergoes the challenges of of being fallen. Um, it's still a means for us ultimately to return to happiness. Um, he also, of course, you know, reminds us that you know life is not just kind of a series of travails leading to death. Um, life is not ultimately tragic, but that as God's uh, created and redeemed world, it is, it, you know, life is a, is a comedy in that sense, that it is meant, uh, it is meant for good, right? And it is a, is a means for us to come to happiness, yes. which I think is so key in the conversation today, um, especially in this, sort of post, I mean, I guess post-Holocaust era that we live in, right? In 1946, uh, Jean-Paul Sartre uh, delivered this lecture, Existentialism is a Humanism, in which he said, there is no human nature because there's no God to create it. Mm -hmm. And so Dante, I think, is kind of the, he he kind of sums up the eternal answer to that to that notion, which I think, I think Sartre's notion has kind of tended to be prevalent in a lot of people's view of the world today. Uh, you know, that our job as, as existent human beings is to fashion our own nature and sort of through our will create our own, our own nature and whatever, according to whatever likeness we desire. Um, and Dante reminds us that we have this nature that's given to us by God to bring us back to him. 
Yeah. You know, I, I teach the Summa to high school kids, and I know he had already mentioned that he was influenced by uh, Aquinas, and he lived, you know, very shortly after uh, you know Aquinas. I think they may have had a little bit of over- overlap, perhaps, but uh, I see so much great philosophy in everything that you're saying. It's really intriguing. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a, a question you've probably been asked, and uh, it, it's a natural question. Now that you've done the uh, Inferno, are you going to... Work on the other two? Can we expect the full Divine Comedy to be translated by you? Yes. Yeah, so, in fact, I have uh, translated Purgatorio and Paradiso as well. Oh, you have? Okay. So, and, it, and actually, so Mr. Schmalz was in Florence on September 14th, uh, live sculpting the final sculpture. Um, so, all of the sculptures are complete now. And uh, yeah, so all all three books are are complete. Now, when you say sculptures, these are sculptures that he's made, and then you have images of them in the book, or how how yes. does that work? Correct. Yeah. So he's he's done these sort of uh, these sort of friezes. Yeah. Um. So that yeah, he's and his plan is to make these Dante gardens around the world, um, where you'll have all one hundred images uh, arranged, so that you could sort of walk through. The Divine Comedy, uh, but yes, the, so there are images of each one uh, at the at the start of each canto. Yeah, and I was just thinking, you know, his contribution to Christianity is so great. Um, uh, I don't know if like a cause of canonization <laughs> would ever be possible, or is he? Uh, did he live? Did he live a pretty holy life himself? I mean, you would almost think writing about heaven, hell, and purgatory would keep tend to keep one on the straight and narrow. Right. Yeah, this is um this is one of the really curious questions about him, right? Um and there are especially a lot of the early cantos in Inferno um that give that give folks a lot of pause as to like so for instance, in uh in one of the early cantos um we are with Dante and Virgil crossing a river of boiling blood where wrathful uh, folks are, are being punished. Um, and one of the characters that approaches them uh, in the river is a guy named Filippo Argenti, uh, who is the guy who took Dante's uh, possessions after he was exiled from Florence. Yeah. Um, and so there's, so Dante kind of shoves him back down into the, the boiling blood in the, uh, <laughs> in the canto there, which so there you know there are, there are instances like that in the inferno that kind of you know kind of give people pause. I think understandably so in some cases, you know, as to you know is this uh, is this ostensibly pious work, uh, you know, just in part a means for Dante to take some kind of literary revenge on some of his political enemies. Yeah, uh, which I think you know it's hard to think that there wasn't uh, a certain shade of that. Um, if only because Dante's exile was such a, I mean, such a tremendous burden to him for the last 20 years of his life. Um, that, you know, uh, of course that would naturally, I think, penetrate anyone's writing in that situation. And yet, yes, I do think, especially, you know, as he spends, you know, 13, 14 years writing this work and of course being so close to the thought of St. Thomas. Um, yeah, that there, I mean, that, that has to, of course, have a tremendous influence on one's character. Um, and I mean, just the level of insight that he has into 
into heaven um, and into the spiritual life. Yeah. You know, it seems like something that would be very hard to attain just from kind of an, an outside perspective. Yeah, right. Yeah, you'd have to have some experience, you know. Yeah, I understand what you're getting at. Uh, Danny Fitzpatrick is my guest. He has translated Dante Alighieri's Inferno, and as he mentioned, also Purgatorio and Paradiso as well. And we're down to the last couple of minutes. Um, uh, th- there were, there's, there's a lot more questions than I have time for, but I, I'm just curious. There were other historical figures. I, I, from what I understand, even popes that uh, Dante took the liberty of putting into uh, the afterlife. Is that is that true, Danny? Um, is that, that pretty? Is correct. Yeah, that that <laughs> uh, which is interesting. Um, well, well, thank you so much uh, for doing this. Um, I'm just curious, where did you learn uh, Italian while you were in college, or how did you get, reach your fluency in Italian? Yeah, so I studied it at UD, um, and of course, a kind of a you know a big element in that was that I was able to participate in the the Rome semester. Yeah, um, as a UD student. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of where I learned Italian. Uh, I had studied Latin prior to that, um, which, you know, I find that Dante's Italian is, is kind of at a, in kind of a middle ground between Latin and modern Italian. Yeah. Um, though probably closer to modern Italian than the Latin. Um, but yeah, that, you know, basically through, through UD is where I, yeah. Wow, well, that says a lot that they were able to get you that uh, proficient in uh, Italian. And uh, last yeah. question is, uh, where do people get it if they want to purchase it? Sure, yeah. So, I mean, I, I guess the, you know, always the easiest place to get anything these days is Amazon. Yeah. Um, they can also go to the publisher's website, um, which is on, it, it's uh, at En Route Books and Media. Um, so actually the specific website I think is helpdantehelpitaly.com. Um, and then another, the, the other, other thing I would encourage people to do if they're interested in Dante is actually have a podcast called the Dante in a Year podcast, which is just me, uh, reading the new translation. Um, so I do one canto per episode. Okay. And I do two episodes per week. Um, so it's, you know, just an easy way and, you know, about 15 minutes a week to get through the whole Divine Comedy in a year. Oh, wow. That's a great idea. Okay, so a podcast, uh, Dante in a Year. Where do people find that? Yeah, so anywhere you get podcasts. So if you go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Google Podcasts or anywhere like that. Would it be on YouTube? Um, I No, it would not be on YouTube. Okay. Um, but yeah, if you just, if anyone, anybody just does a Google search, you know, Dante in the Year podcast, yeah. um, it'll come up that way. All That's right. Cool. Uh, well, very interesting. Well, Danny, thank you for your time and uh, just encourage people to uh, go to helpdantehelpitaly.com or you can go to Amazon or do a search for the Dante in a Year podcast, as Danny had said, and uh, check out Dante Alighieri's Inferno in paperback. And I guess you can also get the uh, Purgatorio and Par- Par- Paradiso as well. And uh, Danny, very interesting. I'm, I'm uh, glad to have talked with you and I uh, thank you for taking some time to talk to us about this uh, really interesting uh, uh, project. Of course. Thank you so much, Dave. It was great talking with you.
Yeah, likewise. And thanks to Diane Xavier for running the board. And thanks to everybody listening right now. And if you have any suggestions for future interviews, please reach out to me. I'd love to hear what uh, you have in mind as far as anything that uh, is Catholic related and also has some connection to North Texas. Those are the only two requirements. And you can email me directly, Dave Palmer at grnonline.com. This has been the KTH 910 AM interview of the week. Thanks for listening. God bless you. All KTH 910 AM listeners are invited to join the Denton 40 Days for Life campaign with their closing rally. This will celebrate the end of the fall campaign, which ran from September 22nd to October 31st. Loretto House has graciously opened their doors to provide a venue for the rally. There will be engaging speakers, light snacks, and a tour of Loretto House. Loretto House is located at 1100 North Bonnie Bray Street in Denton. The rally is this Sunday, November 7th at 6 p.m. Come out and bring your friends. KATH 910AM welcomes Dr. Wynn, a member of St. Vincent de Paul Parish and owner of Pantego Dental and Orthodontic Center as a new sponsor. They're located at 1810 South Bowen Road in Pantego. They offer general and cosmetic dental services, including implants, braces, Invisalign, and laser pain relief for TMJ, TMD, and jaw pain. With the calendar year coming to an end, some dental benefits may expire on December 31st. Pantego Dental and Orthodontic Center can be reached at 817-274-1825. That's 817-274-1825. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to this edition of the KTH 910 AM Interview of the Week here on the Guadalupe Radio Network uh, here in North Texas. Uh, delighted to have you with me. I'm Dave Palmer, the host of this program. Diane is running our board. I think it's actually going to be Diane and Cecil working together. And as I mentioned that we're with Guadalupe Radio Network, of course, our entire network is devoted uh, and under the mantle of Our Lady Guadalupe. This interview is going to be very, very much tied into that because uh, I'm just so delighted that we recently, uh, well, today, as of this recording, had a visit in our studio here in Las Colinas with Monsignor Eduardo Chavez. And that name may be familiar to you. Uh, he is the postulator of St. Juan Diego, the canon of Our Lady's Shrine at Guadalupe in Mexico City, and also the rector of the Institute uh, for Guadalupean Studies in Mexico City. And he is in town today because he is going to be speaking to the Legatus group of the Diocese of Dallas at an event this evening uh, with a talk called The Miracle of Our Lady of Guadalupe. I do want to thank Jerry Jacob, who is with Legatus, and Jerry was kind enough to bring Monsignor by the studio today. We had lunch, and here we are sitting down and doing an interview. So, Monsignor, thank you so much. Great to see you. Thank you so much. It's a very great honor to be here. Thank you so much. Yeah, and you have taught so much. I mean, you have been working so hard ever since you got here. Uh, <laughs> we, you know, had the good fortune of walking by an image of Our Lady Guadalupe, and you must have stood there for 30, 45 minutes with us explaining <laughs> uh, a lot of the features of the, of the tilma and the image. Uh, but let me, let me first of all just ask you about yourself and maybe something about your upbringing and your calling into the priesthood. Can you tell us about your your early life and how God made it clear to you that he was calling you into the priesthood? Well, I was uh, seven years old when I felt something in my heart to be a priest. And I asked, I remember, I asked to Our Lady Mary, please help me what is my way in this uh, historical thing because it's not only my life it's also the life of uh, of the world because it's important each life in in your hands and i said i want to be a priest but you tell me what way 
And after was uh, beautiful because my father, my my mom, uh, my mom very religious. She showed me a lot of things about of the religion, the God, um, of course, the Mary, but not really Guadalupe Mary, uh, only Mary of God. Yeah. You know, was after when in 1977, more or less, I tried to understand more about of Our Lady Guadalupe. But after my, after my ordination, a priest, because I was uh, 24 years old when was my ordination, and my bishop asked me to go to study history of the church in the Gregorian University in Rome. Mm. And uh, for me, it was uh, wonderful, of course. But when he told me, before I ordinate you, was uh, incredible, really incredible. Okay, I studied in Rome in 1983. Arrived to Rome in Rome, um, uh, a man, a great man, a great priest, Monsignor Jose Luis Guerrero, uh, because Jose Luis Guerrero at that time uh, started this process of canonization of San Juan Diego, and asked me for help in order to understand a little more the old documents because it's my was my study history of the church, and he asked me to like expert. Uh, in this uh, in this sense, uh, invitate uh, for Monsignor Jose Luis Guerrero. In that moment, I understand more the documents, really uh, fundamental documents, uh, very special, very important in many parts of the world. Many libraries, archives, in the secret archives in the Vatican, there are a lot of documents. Also in New York, here in the United States, also in Paris, in Spain, of course in Mexico, Mexico City. And I go more deep in this study of Abuela Guadalupe. But it's not only the study, it's something fascinated for, because I am a priest, and for in our Lady Guadalupe, I understand why I am a priest. Mm. You you understand? No, it's not uh, our Lady Guadalupe in one side, in another side Jesus Christ. No, no, no. Our Lady of Guadalupe give me the way, the path, the the energy, the motivation, and many things, spiritual things, in order to understand more. In, in Jesus Christ, my, my, to be a priest. For that was for me incredible. In that moment, never I can left this. More, I want more and more and more and more. After, when I returned to Mexico, I dedicate a lot of uh, my time in order to understand and study more about Fabele Guadalupe. But was in 1988, when my cardinal asked me to be a, a part of the studies more about the Juan Diego. Juan Diego, uh, the life, the virtues, all about Juan Diego, San Juan Diego. And after, asked me for to be a postulator. Uh, to be a postulator is, was not only to study more about the Juan Diego, also the miracle, because what will be very important, the miracle, in order to arrive to the sanctity. And also, uh, 
like a postulator or ask postulator, uh, was a splendid work with San John Paul II. Wow, what, that was also incredible gifts for me. Was the, <clears throat> when you all were asked to be the postulator, was it always the goal to work towards the canonization of uh, Juan Diego? Was that the goal or was it just to learn more about him? Was, did you want, were you always trying to get the, the canonization uh, accomplished, I guess, for lack of a better word? Was a splendid, exactly, was a goal to canonize Juan Diego, yes. But you understand more who are you, what is your mission in this moment, what is the mission, the words through Our Lady Guadalupe. You understand more your life, you know. Yes, it was very important, the canonization of San Juan Diego, because the Holy Father in that moment Uh, he expressed to everybody of the world, this man is in heaven. This man is the the bridge between God mm. and the human being. Yes, this man is the model of the sanctity for everybody of the world. Yes, but also canonize, for in this way I, I say, canonize the Uh, Holy Mary of Guadalupe, the apparition is true. The apparition is not the fantasy, is not noble. No, 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 no. It's something real, history, but also for everybody of the world and any time, any time. And more and more and more, I understand that the apparition of, of Our Lady Guadalupe is for this days, in our days. What about Juan Diego? Of all the, I mean, millions of people that lived in, you know, Mexico at the, the time in the 16th century, why him? Why, why, what was unique about him in all, in the, to, that, that he would be the one that Our Lady would choose? Wow, <laughs> that is a, a question for Our Lady more than me. <laughs> She couldn't make it today, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Second, maybe I know more about this, uh, the, this question when I died, you know, yeah. and I ask directly to our lady, why? But I try, I try to understand more about this, and I think because it's indig indigenous, very humble. God is the great, uh, is the love for all of us, but we need the heart, very humble heart, in order to found, in order to to touch, to touch God. I think one of the most important virtues to Juan Diego of the sanctity is the humble man. This is the layman, very humble, obedience, and I think this is the reason. And let me ask you about your role as canon of Our Lady Shrine. What, what does that mean? What does it mean to be the canon? Well, in the in the diocese, the bishop obviously is the is the head in the diocese, and the canon are the consul. Consul is the consul of uh, of the bishop. Okay, in every diocese. Okay. 
but in in the shrine of Abuelo Guadalupe is the rector, and also in the shrine of, of Abuelo Guadalupe we are the council, canonigos, uh, in order to uh, help in three times: one, counsel to the rector; second, the pray inside to the shrine; and third, the pilgrim people to attend the mm. pilgrim people. In the case of Mexico City, is uh, very few the pilgrims in the cathedral, but in in the shrine of Abuelo Guadalupe is the most important, more grow. Um, I, I want to tell you this, and I think uh, the people understand me more perfectly. First, in Vatican City, in the shrine of uh, St. Peter, every year, more or less, arrive 11 pilgrims, 11 millions of pilgrims. In Fatima, Lourdes, six, seven millions every year uh, pilgrims. In Aparecida, Brazil, 11 millions every year. In Mexico, Our Lady Guadalupe in Mexico, 23 millions. Wow, that's a big one. year. Yeah. And the, the canon, uh, los canonigos, the canons, try to help to attend all these programs. It's impossible, I know, but Our Lady Guadalupe is really who uh, help every heart, every heart of her sons. Um, th thank you for that explanation. I, I've always been curious, you know, when, when it comes to Fatima, people talk about the message, you know, the consecration of Russia and the vision of hell and the, uh, you know, the secrets. And there's a lot of talk about the message, not so much the image. People don't talk about the, the you know, what she looked like and, you know, that kind of thing, you know, the dancing of the sun and, But with Guadalupe, there seems to be a lot of talk about the image and not so much about the message. What, I don't know that many people could even tell you what she said to Juan Diego other than, you know, build a shrine and, uh, go back and, you know, talk to the, to the bishop. But what was the message? What was she, well, you know, not as far as the, 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 the tilma, but what was she trying to communicate to, to Juan Diego and to the world? There are many messages and, uh, because it's one message. Okay. But there are a lot of uh, understand about these measures and also in our days for me the most important message is don't be afraid don't be afraid i remember in the in the story of guadalupe juan diego uh, go to the priest for the ankle because the old uncle juan bernardino uh, was very very sick almost died and juan diego go for the priest but He need to take a sign to the bishop at the same time. And in that moment, uh, Juan Diego chose to go around to the hill in order to avoid her and go to the, to the priest. But in that point, our Lady Guadalupe stopped to Juan Diego and, uh, and pronounced this sentence. Don't be afraid. Don't yeah. be afraid. I am here. I am your mom. Don't be afraid. I am the fountain of your joy, the fountain of your hill. Don't be afraid. You are in the cross of my arms and the hole of my mantle. For me, this is the message so strong in our days. Don't be afraid. 
because she is the mother of God, but at the same time is our mom. And this is incredible in the image of our Guadalupe because she's the virgin, but at the same time is a pregnant lady. Our, uh, uh, our Savior, Jesus Christ, is in her womb, mm -hmm. exactly in that point. This Jesus Christ is the center of the image and also the message of Our Lady Guadalupe. Because uh, when Our Lady Guadalupe appeared, said, I want a holy house in order to give my love song. The center is Jesus Christ. For that reason, when Our Lady Guadalupe said, don't be afraid, is something very strong because Our Lady Guadalupe gave us her son. And this is the point. Jesus Christ in our heart, humble heart. Don't be afraid. Yes. Um, Monsignor Eduardo Chavez is my guest, postulator of St. Juan Diego, canon of Our Lady Shrine, and the rector of the Institute for Guadalupean Studies. Uh, tell me about the, the, the third title here, uh, rector of the Institute for Guadalupean Studies. I, I presume that means you, you, you teach people about uh, Guadalupe, right? And yes, the, the image right. and the message, kind of like what we're doing right now. How, how is that institute organized and uh, and who are the students and how do you teach? Okay. Uh, after the canonization of San Juan Diego, uh, July 31st, uh, 2002, uh, John Paul II uh, made this. Uh, in that moment, my cardinal, Norberto Rivera, is the name, uh, founded this Instituto Superior de Estudios Guadalupanos in order to continue this study and also to give this beautiful message to everybody of the world. Okay. And in this uh, case, this institute is in the Tepeya Hill, exactly in the Tepeya Hill. And for me, it's a honor very big to be a director of the this institute. In this institute, we continue with many researches, uh, many studies, uh, in many libraries, uh, archives, and all the things. We made a lot of books. We made a lot of videos. We, we made in many form to give this message and also the truth because in the you can uh, see in the Google and all these things, many things about it, of our Guadalupe, but many of these things is not the, is not the true, is a mix with the true, but another things lies. You know, is not exactly the true. It's more, it's more it's very important to give the truth of our Guadalupe. The truth is Jesus Christ, but in many sense, our Lady Guadalupe is history, theology ecclesiology, mariology, but also the exactly science, mathematics, arithmetic, music also, many, many another kind of science. Uh, we're looking for the truth. And we made this from the Institute in many forms. Uh, I told you classes, videos. Also, we start the course for example, here in, in Dallas, in the University of Dallas, we make uh, uh, classes, we make a course here. And also the University Pontific Pontificia University of Mexico, we have the recognized 
for the studies for this wonderful university in mm -hmm. Mexico, Pontific Pontifical University of Mexico. And is, that is very nice because uh, uh, certainly our studies is that level of the university studies. Yes, and if somebody's listening right now and they would like to learn more, can they take classes uh, either at UD or remotely or uh, you know through Zoom or something like that? Exactly. Uh, how, how should they sign up? Is there a website or what should they do? It's www.morenita, very easy, morenita.tv. TV, 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 like television, TV. That's it. Okay, exactly. Morenita, down, down, TV, TV. Okay, and they can sign up in there. In Spanish, is Morenita punto TV. <laughs> and do you do the in English and Spanish? Or only, only Spanish, right only now. Spanish. Only Spanish. I have two books in English. One with Mr. Carl Anderson, Night of Columbus, Night of Columbus, uh, was the president. Uh, Our Lady Guadalupe, Mother of Civilization of Love. Yeah. And a, another book, Our Lady Guadalupe and San Juan Diego for the Notre Dame University. Yeah. Both in Amazon, you can get it. Okay. We only have a, a few minutes remaining in the interview, uh, but if I, when I, when I bring up the image, I know we could talk hours and you have been very generous with explaining a lot of things in the image, but it, there, there's so much there. And yeah. if there were just one or two things, if you had somebody's attention for a couple of minutes and you could only point out a couple of things in that image, what would they be? What, what, what's the most important thing to look at on the image? I think the flower. Four, one flower with four petals in the womb of Aweli Walupe because means God. Yeah. Always in movement. God, this is the most important. This is the focus of hold the image. But also, another point so important, the eyes. Yeah. Because uh, in the eyes, the reflection, human reflection, was in both eyes, not only one eye, in both eyes. And that is uh, incredible because in, the, in, the, the, in that eyes is the human being, her sons, you are in the eyes of Our Lady Guadalupe. Mm. For me, that is so important. Yeah. If somebody like me who has never been to Mexico City, has never been to the shrine. Oh, uh, you need to go. Yeah. I wait for you. Yeah. <laughs> Tell, yeah talk about, uh, and this will be the, uh, the last question I'll ask, the importance of going. And also, what advice would you give to somebody who's making a planning a trip down there as far as what, what they should n definitely not miss or what, what should they do when, they're, when they come and visit? Oh, you need to go quickly and the first hermit because uh, Our Ligua Alpe wants a holy house in order to give my loved son. Uh, yes, the image is in the new basilic, yes, but you need to visit the first holy house, the first small house, sacred house to Our Lady Guadalupe, because in this humble point, everything starts. Everything starts for everybody of the world. We, uh, one more time, the humble heart. This is the point in this encounter with Our Lady Guadalupe in Jesus Christ. 
well, thank you very much for your time. Uh, for all the thank people you. out there who have great devotion to Our Lady of Guadalupe, would you mind uh, giving a blessing over the radio? And uh, I don't know if it can extend. To- Thanks for listening to KATH 910 AM, Frisco, Dallas, Fort Worth, and North Texas on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Catholic radio for your soul. Heard also at grnonline.com and on your smartphone.